you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. If you have to go to the table of contents, there's no condemnation for you because it is one of those books where like, I know where Psalms is, I know where Genesis, I know Revelation, and then there's the rest. Okay, so Jonah, you can, it's right after Obadiah. That should help you quite a bit. So there you go. So I'll be doing three weeks on, on Jonah, and then uh, that will be the end. I, I, there's something at the end of May, I think there's going to be a Kelview at the park or something, and then we're going to take a, a June break because of camps. And that's all I know right now. What it's after that, Christ could come back, so we'll just play it by ear. Preach Jonah, Daddy said. Or, no, preach Jonah, Daddy, the little kid said to his dad. And the boys, they were so excited, their voices just rang in his ears. When Professor Dad got invited to preach, his boys wanted to hear Jonah one more time. They liked to laugh at a prophet who heard God say, go east, but purchased a ticket to the farthest western resort. He loved to laugh at a prophet sleeping while pagan sailors prayed for him and at a Thanksgiving prayer from a big fish's belly, at a five-word sermon bringing the greatest spiritual awakening in human history, and at a pouting prophet bawling God out for sending a revival. Jonah is a funny story. It's probably one of the, the ones we love to tell about. You know, I blaze even in passing the office. Was Jonah in the big fish? For three literal days. Did he die? No. Did he die and was he resurrected? That's the question. Or was he just, did he survive? I'm going to go with the latter, but whatever. I think Jesus died and resurrected, and I think Jonah foreshadows Jesus Christ, but whatever. That's not what tonight is about. But Jonah has a lot of, uh, it brings up a lot of application, a lot of things. Uh, none of us, if we raise our hand, have, have lived three days in a big fish. Probably none of us have done that yet. I do believe it's a miracle of God, and I think it really, really did happen. It's not just some fairy tale we love to make up and tell at vacation Bible school. The book of Jonah is a book of miracles. The book of Jonah is not about a big fish. The book of Jonah is not really about Jonah. The book of Jonah is really about a sovereign God that loves people. And Jonah just happens to be a character that God says, I want to use you to go talk to these people that you hate, by the way. And a lot of other, your people hate them. But I want to use you to go talk to them because I love them and I don't like their rebellious. And I'm going to give them a chance to repent. And Jonah, I want you to be that spokesperson. Uh, while God tries to carry on a love relationship with the world, we selfishly seek to limit his love to us and the people we like because they are like us. We shouldn't just laugh at Jonah, we should also cry a little bit because Jonah can show us our own prejudices and the limits we often place on Almighty God. And if you think you've never limited God, uh, uh, let's look at the book of Jonah. And it kind of ends open-ended, the whole book, all four chapters, it ends kind of open-ended. And I think God does that because he says, put yourself in Jonah's situation. Where are you? Where are your prejudices? Where do you like to tell God what he should do and should not do? Let's look at the text. It's a story. It's a narrative. Um, I'm just going to, we're just going to read the whole first chapter. I'm not going to make you turn to any other books of the Bible, but we're just going to look at this first chapter tonight and we'll go from there. If you're not familiar with the story, I hope, um, well, some of it, uh, and at the end, we'll talk through it a little bit. And then at the end, I will give some application for us, even if our name is not Jonah. But if we're believers, uh, there's for sure application for us. Jonah chapter 1, I'm in the New King James. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. 
So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Good story. Good nighttime story. Some of y'all fell asleep as I was reading it, maybe. Jonah is a book of mission. It's going to contrast God's eternal mission of redeeming the lost world with humanity's ongoing mission of self-preservation and self-serving. Two themes are going to come up in this book, God's sovereignty and evangelism. Evangelism both in the sense that God wants to spread the good news, the gospel, to those that don't know him. He wants to give everyone a chance to repent and know his love. But then also, mankind's, and in this instant, Jonah's, uh, responsibility to evangelize which he's going to not, not do well here in the beginning. Uh, this story is, it presumes that the writer, the author of it, is kind of in third person. I, I believe the writer is Jonah. Uh, there's some other idea, ideas out there, but I think that's pretty good. Backstory to this story would be the prophet Jonah. What, we don't know a lot about him, but he does come up in another instance. In 2 Kings, he comes up, uh, as a, well, yeah, Second Kings fourteen twenty five. He shows up in Jonah the prophet. God uses these prophets in the Old Testament, and He gives His word to them that He wants them to project and to share. And, uh, and so He goes to King Jeroboam to extend His territories, and the king does it, carries out the message of God, and Jonah. Jonah's a hero in his own nation. Okay, so to Israel, Jonah is really good. Now He contrasts that with. This mission, this is the mission impossible that Jonah receives. And uh, he didn't really like his orders. Uh, So it's a big contrast to that. It says in the beginning, he hears the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and it said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. He hears the word of the Lord. That word of the Lord... Uh, In the Hebrew, it comes up many, many times, 438 times. It comes up in the Old Testament. Uh, 161 of those times in the word of the Lord, or he speaks the word of the Lord, he hears the word of the Lord, or it's revealed to his people. That comes up 161 times in just the prophetic books. In 1, 2, in verse 2, he says, the city of Nineveh. Now, West Texans, we don't know much about Nineveh, and why is that a big deal if you go back to that time period, uh, Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh is the art, is the enemy of the nation of Israel, the Assyrians. They are everything they hate. They are the ones that later on they will come and they will uh, and they will rampage. They will destroy Israel. The Assyrians will come. So, the capital of Nineveh. It's a terrible people. They, they have the great te- uh, temple of Ishtar. Uh, 
Nineveh's ruins right now are located in modern Mosul, the second largest city of Iraq uh, on the east bank of the Tigris River. Nineveh is mentioned in Genesis chapter 10, way back when, uh, from 1363 B.C., Nineveh was a strong city, stayed under Sennacherib, uh, and it became the capital of Assyria around 700 B.C. Nineveh, not only was it the enemy of the Israelites, Nineveh had a great wickedness. Terrible, terrible things were done by the Ninevites to all sorts of people, everybody, believers, not believers. They, weren't, they, they were just cruel and, and, and ruthless. So God is a loving God. And God, the text just says, their wickedness has come up before God. God knows everyone's. Good things we do and bad things they do. He created all of He knows everything. He knows everything, every nation, when it's going to rise and when it's going to fall. He knows every person individually. God is a personal God. And Nineveh's wickedness had come up before him, and he then says to Jonah, go and preach a message of repentance and, uh, and say that I love. I'm going to give them a chance to turn from their sin and turn towards me. Uh, And what was Jonah's response? He rose up early and he fleed in the opposite direction. And why did he do that? Because he's fleeing the face of the Lord. He's called to go east to preach and he sails west. Tarshish is uh, the farthest point west from Palestine. Its exact location is not, uh, is kind of mysterious a little bit, but it's a seaport uh, that connected ships. It was a source of precious metals probably uh, southwest Spain. Some thought it might be northern Africa, but the, the point of where it is, not that, the point is he went the opposite direction of where God said to go. So you see, in the first few verses, you see Jonah turning from two things. You see, first and foremost, and these are your only two blanks, if you're a blank filler in, I'm going to say it right now. He turned from God's word. First thing. Um... God's word, now when we say God's word, this is not this whole God's word. They didn't have it back then, okay? But what the message, God's word, what he gave to Jonah to go deliver, he did the exact opposite. He rejected it. Well, what was in his word that he was supposed to deliver? It said, uh, the message was pretty clear. At first it said, it came with great, great clarity, arise, go to Nineveh. It said the exact city, place that you are supposed to get up and go to. And uh, it also sounded a note of reality. It said that great city. God here is saying Nineveh is a great city. And it gave him a heavy responsibility, cry out against Jonah. God's heart is heavy and he yearns for, for Nineveh to come back to him. So what was Jonah's difficulty with going to Nineveh? Did he not understand his orders? I don't think that was it at all. Intellectually, I think I just laid out, it's pretty simple, God's orders. Uh, Go to Nineveh. That wasn't his problem. He understood exactly what it was, and it was crystal clear. His difficulty with God's order here was it was a moral problem. God spoke to him on this particular matter, and God's will and Jonah's will came on a collision course. What God wanted him to do and what Jonah wanted to do was... It was colliding. Big problem. Jonah had his own concepts of how things should be and how best to serve God and his flesh. It made war on the spirit, and it seemed that the flesh was victorious in this case. Uh, Nineveh, I've already said, was the capital city of an enemy nation. Jonah didn't want to be labeled the traitor prophet. Oh, you're that guy that went to our enemy's capital city and you uh, tried to evangelize them and get them repentance. That'd be a traitor to Israel. He didn't want to be that guy. Uh, What Jonah found so deeply disturbing was that God was asking him to sacrifice his reputation. Has God ever asked you or me to do that? And are we really quick to say, please, sign me up? I'm very humble. No. Typically, our own self, our own ideas, our own plans is what actually keeps us from oftentimes obeying God's will for our own lives. 
So sacrifice your reputation, Jonah. Go there and, not, and go there for these Ninevites. Go there for these Gentile dogs who deserve neither mercy nor grace from God or from Jonah is what Jonah thought. They don't deserve no mercy. Do you know what they did? You know who they are? They don't deserve, God, your mercy. So he turned from God's word, but also, secondly, Jonah turned from God's presence. Look at uh, uh, verse 3 at the end of it. Uh, He went to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jump across to verse 10. For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. I don't like my orders. I'm going to go the opposite direction. Now, this is Jonah. He's, been, uh, he's probably been to seminary. He might be a PhD at this point. I don't know. He knows the Torah. He knows God personally, and he, he, he knows that he can't run from God. He knows that God is omnipresent. Jonah would know that. So he's not running from God's omnipresence. Well, then what is he running from? Jonah... Uh, he would know David's confession from Psalm 139. Jonah would know uh, the words of Scripture to say, Oh Lord, David, you have searched me, you know me, you know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I go from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall Jonah knew he couldn't run from God. However, he was fleeing from his felt presence. Basically, I'm just going to do the opposite thing of what God tells me, and I'm just going to numb my conscience, and I'm just not going to hear from God. I'm not going to commune with God. I'm not going to pray to God. I'm just going to get on a boat, go the wrong direction with strangers, and I'm just going to sleep on the very bottom floor of the boat, which is exactly what he did. Notice throughout the Scriptures, though, that he says, Go up, arise, go to Nineveh. And which direction is Jonah heading anytime it's talking directionally? Down, 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 down. Again, the contrast of what God wants him to do and what Jonah is choosing to do. Jonah's fleeing his call, he's fleeing his purpose, he's fleeing his mission. He's fleeing uh, from the place of prayer and service, from the sphere of evangelism to which God had called him. And he's basically going in panic, and he's going to a far spot, as far on the map as he possibly could go, so no one would know the name Jonah. And he just wants to hide and probably die, which he's going to say later on, oh yeah, there's a big storm, just throw me overboard. Basically a death wish is what he's saying. So you get the, the lowness, the depression, where Jonah is. Um. Jonah's flight from God was at a great cost. It cost him a lot of money to get on this Mediterranean cruise. Uh, it wasn't really a cruise. but uh, uh, And it, it, you're going to see here, it's going to cost other people are going to get uh, uh, caught up in Jonah's problem with this almighty God. These pagan sailors are going to say, what in the world? Why, why, are you, why are you on my boat? I didn't want this kind of a thing. Uh, Jonah's flight was not without spiritual fruit. You're going to see here and throughout all of Jonah. You're going to see Jonah, for the most part, making wrong decisions. He's going to have a little moment with with God in the belly of the the great fish. And then at the end of the book, he's going to basically say really what his big problem is. And his big problem is basically, God, you're a loving God. And you're a forgiving God. And I don't want you to forgive those people. Um. Even here in this chapter, you're going to see that Jonah's flight, there was still, God used him, and there was spiritual fruit that happened because Jonah's there, even in his rebellion to God. These sailors are going to, it starts out, it says in the passage that they're, they're, they're praying to all their gods. These are not God-following Jehovah people. These are just, you know, whatever's out there, the universe and Mother Nature. I'll worship anything. Whatever, I read all the horoscopes and all the things that are controlling whatever's happening. I will pray to every one of them. The minute this storm happened, the storm came, and it says in the text, it's, the, the ship is about to be destroyed. The captain checks the passenger list and notice Jonah's nowhere to be found, or this, there's this guy sleeping on the bottom. 
uh, at the bottom of the ship. And uh, at the end of it, with this encounter with the pagans, and they throw them over, overboard, the pagans are the ones that are doing things that God wants. And yet his prophet is the one that's overboard in the Mediterranean Sea. There are times in our lives when the Lord will employ us in his service despite our disobedience to demonstrate that the grace, the fruit, and the glory are entirely his. You and I can disobey God and God still use our disobedience for his glory because we serve a mighty God that can change his plans. He's like, you're going to be disobedient? All right, I may still use you, I may not. Uh, we, on the, on the other hand, beware of mistaking usefulness for God for communion with God. Jonah's here being useful for God. They're seeing that God can control nature and the storms and the, and the sea and all the things. But Jonah knows he's being disobedient to God the whole time. In our lives, be careful not to equate the blessings of God with I have communion with God. God can bless us even with we're not really good fellowship with him. Because God can use all sorts of things for his good. Um, verse 3, Jonah was not real so sure about his calling. Um, Jonah basically says to God, Lord, you know I love you. But faith has limits. I will go anywhere you send me, just not Nineveh. Lord, uh, in case you didn't know, it's dangerous. We have many people here at home who need ministry. Nineveh does not deserve to hear your word. Lord, go ahead and destroy them. You do not have to send me to do it. It's vacation time for me. Call again when I can come back and you have a better mission for me. Just not me. So he goes down, he goes to Joppa, and he gets on the ship. And uh, he starts his journey from God's presence uh, downward and away from God. At the end of the first few verses, you see this national hero, this prophet of God. uh, He had delivered God's victorious word to Jeroboam but now he has become a fleeing prophet, fearful of the consequences of God's message for the pagan city of Nineveh. So then you contrast Jonah, the prophet of God, and he's rejected the word of God and the presence of God, and he's running totally contrary to where God would have him go. Um, You contrast that with the praying pagans. Um, You kind of see, and I already told you all that God is the... God is the main character in this story. If we were God, and you know, if you have children, how are you? How do you? Or grandchildren? How do you do when your children are disobedient to you? How does that go over? Wait till they're teenagers, or maybe they're in college, or maybe they're grown adults, and they simply do the opposite thing of what you say. What is your natural reaction? I told you so. I told you it'd be that way if you did that, right? Isn't that what we do? Here, the contrast is God is constantly at work, even with his pouting prophet, rebellious prophet. He still loves him. He's still going to use him. And he's going to do everything he can to get him on the right track to do what he wants. Um, you see these sailors and they just get on this boat. They don't, they, this guy is snuck on the boat. He's on the bottom. Uh, and this immense storm comes in verse 5. The ship is about to shatter in pieces. So this, this, is, this is one of those Hollywood kind of sets, you know, where the water's coming over and all this stuff. And it, it's, not, it's not looking good for them. They're crying out to their gods, little g-gods. They're throwing all over all their cargo to try to stay afloat. And they find out this one guy is down below, the sound sleeper. The captain, not God, wakes him up. The captain comes and says, arise, get up. I wonder if he had flashbacks to God's command, arise and go to Nineveh. Get up. What are you doing down here? You're not where God wants you. You're not where you're supposed to be. Jonah goes back up to the top of the ship. They cast lots to determine who's guilty for this thing, and I don't know how that all works, but it says they determined it was Jonah. I'm like, duh. They come up with a solution, verses 7 through 12. Um, the sailors worked this puzzle, and they determined it's Jonah. Who's responsible? Where, where do you come from? Jonah goes up to the top deck, and then they ask him a million questions. 
because they want answers. Because someone's to blame for this storm and this, all that this stuff is happening to us. Who's responsible? Where, do you, you know, where are you from? Uh, his answer in verse 9, he says he's a Hebrew. Uh, he's an Israelite. But he, he has an interesting response. He puts in his response, and I don't, and it's there in the English, but probably better in the Hebrew. He puts the God first, or the, the subject of the sentence. Be, he, like, he responds in a way like this I myself am fearing Yahweh, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. He's still, even in his disobedience, is acknowledging that God is in control of everything, the heavens, the sea, and dry land. Now, he answers in the way that these pagan sailors would understand, oh, he's over the sea and the dry land. Well, that's the guy we need, to, we need to appease him, that God. So he gives an appropriate answer, but on the other hand, it's not a normal Israelite confession of God. It's not the normal confession of God. This is Elohim. This is the one that is personal. This is the one you know, that our descendants of Abraham, and this is the God, the I am, and all that stuff. It's not that typical answer. So even in his response, he's acknowledging that God still is all-powerful, but even in response, he's saying, I'm rebellious. I'm not where I should be. The sailors' reaction, uh, they feared a great fear. They were exceedingly afraid. Uh, They were terrified by all of this, um, what's happening around them. And uh, they asked one more question, what should we do to make the sea calm down? What do we got to do? Uh, and the prophet uh, Jonah, he accepted the blame. He knew the solution. He said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and you'll have nothing but calmness. The problem will be gone. For Jonah, the solution must have been logical. Um, the sea god was attacking them. They would feed the sea god to cool his anger. So the narrative's going on. The sailors, even when he says, yeah, just throw me overboard, they try to do everything but do that. They didn't want to do that because they knew that would be his death. Of course, they didn't understand how this God is going to work. Um, but God was using the sailors. God was using the storm. God was using everything. Even his, his defiant uh, prophet was trying to rebel against him. Uh, they throw him overboard. Then... They turn to Jonah's God, not the pagan God of the sea. These pagans, again, the contrast. The pagan gods are the ones that are at the end of their little part of the story. They're worshiping God. <laughs> and their prophet is trying to survive in, in the waters. Um, I think behind the host, just this first chapter, are you ever surprised by who God chooses to save? Is there anyone that you think God could not save them? Terrorists that fly into 9-11 buildings, could God have saved them? Granted, they're dead, but murderers, rapists, child molesters, the worst of the worst, could God save them? Enemy country to to the United States, could God save that nation? We live in a society and we become a very society that is very, and now, I don't know what America is uh, racially or what nationality we are. We have everything. We are a melting pot for sure, okay? But isn't it, we live, we still live, we, we, this isn't a debate on borders. This is not a debate. My point is, for all that we want to give Jonah a hard time for being nationalistic and being, uh, he wanted Israel to be protected and, and Israel to be God's nation and God, don't, don't go save those Ninevites. Is it not just as easy for us to do the same thing? Just save America. Just save Central America, North America. Don't worry about those others. God doesn't operate like that. If, nothing, if Jonah's story doesn't tell us anything about that, we should hear that. Jonah here is hurled into the sea. Um, the men are caught worshiping. Uh, Jonah's flight uh, you could tell in Jonah's life he's having a disintegration Uh, he he is 
he is becoming separated from his God. Ultimately, how is he characterizing it? He's being disobedient to his God. He got his orders, and he's not doing any of it. Before this story, before this episode, before this order that came down from God, Jonah's lifestyle would have been uh, totally in line with obedience to God's word. Jonah would never have imagined, if you went back, you know, three days before, Jonah would never have imagined his life, he's swimming, trying to survive in the ocean, uh, in this middle of a storm and all this stuff. He never would have imagined, he's like, surely I would never go that far. I know God's word, I know how he operates, I know who God is. I might backstep a little bit, but then I'm going to get right back on track, right? Here in his back sliding, he has rejected God's word, and he's rejecting totally God's presence. Um, now, Jonah appears as a man who is spiritually at sea. He's a castaway. He, uh, he is someone that's just drifting out in the dangerous waters, of a, and he's backsliding God all the while. This nautical metaphor could be carried over, and it's the, kind of there in the letter of the Hebrews. It employs the same kind of spiritual language in the New Testament times. The author of Hebrews uh, speaks to the presence and acts of God, which attend to the ministry of the apostles. Uh, he says in Hebrews 2, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The failure of the believers to hold fast to the word of God eventually means that we could drift away from the word and also from the, the mooring of his whole life. A disintegration can take place. A warning from just this first chapter is stay close to the word of God and the presence of God. Don't be trying to hide from God in your life. You can't hide from God. God created you. God knows everything about you. Every hair on your head, every few hairs on your head, whatever. You can't hide from God. So stop it. And the word of God. Which is why the enemy, Satan, the ultimate deceiver, always is trying to discredit God's word. That's not true. Or you can take this verse, but that verse, but then that verse doesn't add with that verse. It's not valid, and it's not authoritative, and it's not, it's not true, and all these things. The enemy, man, schemes, whatever, education, whatever, is trying to be disqualifying God's word from the, ever since it was created, and they can't. But in our uh, belief system, I would be careful and encourage all of us, be careful when you pick and choose God's word that you want to believe and other God's words you don't want to believe. I don't like how God's word talks about that topic, so I'm just not going to believe that part. Well, you don't get to pick and choose. Neither do I. It's either all God's word or none God's word. Jonah, you see some... some uh, some dreadful signs in his life and what he's doing in this first chapter. Jonah and his, you know, he rejects God's orders. What's the first thing you see? Jonah is misguided by his circumstances. I'm going to reject you, God, but I'm going to go the opposite direction, but I'm going to Joppa, and if I, if I get the first boat out of here, then I'm going to take that as confirmation that you're okay with this. Right? So this circumstantial experience that I'm doing, even though I know what your word said, I know what you're commanding me, I'm going to take this as a sign that we're good. Plus, you know, there's room for me on this ship, and we're going that, so obviously, God, somehow you understand I can reject you, and you're okay with that, and you're kind of blessing me through this. That makes no sense, right? But do we not do that sometimes to God? I know what your word says, I'm not going to do it, but if things kind of work out when I'm not going to do what your word says, then maybe you're okay with it. Right? God ain't okay with it. You see Jonah, he's misguided by his circumstances, and uh, he's using experience to kind of justify his decisions, which is rebellion to God. Uh, we should always remember that God communicates his will fundamentally and primarily through his revealed word. We live in a day and age that everything is experiential and I have to experience this and my emotions and all of these things. Don't mistake that for God. 
If it's contrary to anything that God says in his word, that's not God. That's experiences, that's circumstantial. Uh, I don't like the word luck, but don't equate that as God's providence because it worked out or whatever. No, it has to line up with God's word. God is true. His character is always the same from the beginning to the end. Um, Just because he got a boat out of town, God could be testing Jonah. Are you really going to follow through with rejecting me all the way? Let's see how far you're going to go. And Jonah was willing to go as far as he needed to go, even to death. Um, Jonah teaches us, do not be guided by providences when you are refusing to be guided by his word. Again, stay true to God's word. That was his first problem. But also, you see, Jonah was powerless in, in, the, in this crisis. In this storm, the captain has to come find Jonah. He's nowhere to be around. This is the prophet of God. This is the God of Jehovah. This is the God of the Israelites. This is the most powerful being ever, and his, his spokesperson is, is, is down sleeping during the storm. In Jonah's earlier years, he could have never dreamed that this would be him, straying this far from God. Surely his conscience would, you know, he's, he knows God's word. Many years of training, surely it would preserve him from such a scandal. But this reality is quite different from daydreaming. This really is happening. The moment a crisis has come and Jonah was in no condition to hear his conscience, his conscience in turn was in no condition to speak to him. He had silenced it. Basically, he was numb to God. I break communication. I don't want to hear from God, and I'm going to do whatever I want. Good lesson for us is if we do not keep short accounts with God in our own conscience and our own hearts, it will not be too long before our once sensitive spirits will fail to respond to the touch of his hand or the sound of his voice. God is a sovereign God, and according to scriptures in the book of Jonah, God lets us make choices. And how those things all coexist, only God knows. You can reject God. God can still use you. God can still come after you. And his love will never stop pursuing. But Jonah here also was ashamed of his ministry. These guys, these pagan sailors, who's responsible for what's going on here? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? All these questions. Jonah answers all of them except he doesn't say his occupation. He doesn't call himself a prophet of the Lord anymore. He is no longer that. He doesn't consider himself to be a prophet. His witness has been silenced. The very work for which he had been created, uh, it just lays incomplete. He had no, no word from God to give anybody. Jonah forfeited his ministry, and he was ashamed. Then last you see that Jonah was dis- despaired of his future usefulness. He was done. He figured he was done. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, in verse 12. Nothing left for him to do. God had no more use for him. Uh, He was unsure if he was a true servant of God, but worse, he wasn't sure if he was still a true child of God. For where there is no obedience, there can be no assurance. He now felt both physically and spiritually, he felt he was a castaway with no guarantee of rescue. He was ready to die. Last verse is the the bit of hope for Jonah. The Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, three nights. Again, the Lord God is moving through all of these weird circumstances in Jonah's life. You see Jonah's rebellion, and you see God's unfailing love that pursues him. God watched his wayward prophet flee. God loved Jonah, so God went with Jonah. He's there with him. He's seeking to show Jonah just how big his love is. Jonah's small love covered himself and his own people, the Israelites. God's big love covered all the world, even Nineveh and the pagan sailors on the ship. Jonah could not rest on past laurels, banking on what he had accomplished for God. Jonah had to follow God wherever he led. Some principles as I close this evening. They're on the back of your sheet so you're not having to write so much, okay? God sends you where he, where he wills in accordance with his purpose. For some of us, that is, you will go to college or you will not go to college and you will work the trades and you will work 
You may marry, you may be single, you may divorce. You will have a family, you may not have a family, uh, but this is, the, and hopefully you come to know Christ as your, as your Savior and Lord, you have a relationship with him, you're a child of God, and you live out your days. But even in that, if that is your calling, he may still have a moment where he says, the Holy Spirit, if you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit's in you. And the Holy Spirit, God, will convict you and say, maybe it's sometime in a quiet time, maybe it's sometime at a church. Keith, I want you to do this. I remember exactly when that moment was in my life. Well, I've had several of them. Uh, the most recent one, is, uh, six or seven years ago, was at a conference. It was a worship conference. I was the worship pastor here, and I was very comfortable. Uh, I grew up in a family of singers. My dad's a music minister and for, forever. He just retired a year or two ago. I know music. I know people. I've been in the church, different parts of the church. I've been a youth pastor. I've been a accounts, whatever, payable person. I've been a bookkeeper in school. I've been, I've been different jobs in the church. And now here I am in Midland, Texas, thanks to Jerry Berry, Jim Cannell, and Robert Reed, and God. I am here the worship pastor at Kelby Heights Baptist Church in West Texas. I didn't know where Midland was, to be honest with you. And I didn't know what a tumbleweed was either. But now I know those things, so that's good. I was at this conference training for worship pastors right where I should be. And I couldn't sing any worship at all with Shane and Shane leading worship. If you know Shane and Shane, they do amazing worship. And I love to sing, but I couldn't sing at all. I want you to preach. I want you to teach. And I didn't want to hear it. And I wrestled. And I probably in the beginning for, I don't know, I probably got on the ship and went the opposite direction for a while. But have you ever had that moment in your life where God says, I want you to do something that's going to get you out of your comfort zone. It's going to stretch you. It can only be God. It's like Moses when God calls Moses to go and lead the Israelites away from the Egyptians. And I want you to go tell Pharaoh, you know, uh, let my people go. And Moses has all the reasons, right? I stutter. Uh, I do all these things. Uh, I was like that. God has his purposes for his people, and our job is to obey whenever he tells you that. He's not going to tell each of us to be a preacher and teacher or to be a worship leader or to be a whatever, but God has some specific purpose for you. Now, there are some general principles from God's word. We should all evangelize, share our witness to other people, and most of us are not very good at doing that. For various reasons. But there are some things that are very specific and particular to you, your giftedness, your situation, uh, your life, your relationships you have, and God says, I want you to do that. And oftentimes, it's going to make you uncomfortable and it's going to stretch you, and God does that. I believe he did for me because it makes me rely more on God and realize in my own strength and in my own whatever, I'm not very good at that. I didn't even like speech at A&M. I did not like that class. I don't like talking in front of people. And yet here I am. I don't mean to say of myself that I do everything right. I don't mean to say that. Uh, I was just giving you an example of how we can wrestle oftentimes with God when he gives us our particular orders. Also, you see that God uses unexpected people and things to achieve his purpose. He used a storm. He used the ship. He used these pagan sailors. They're the guys that are worshiping, and his prophet is, is pouting and being disobedient. God delivers you even when you rebel. Aren't you thankful you serve a God that gives you a second and third chance? Because we all fail. The word of God is hard to live up to, and that's thank, thankful for the, the blood of Christ, thankful that there's forgiveness at the cross, that when we fail we can be forgiven, but it doesn't. Uh, we still should strive to be the people of God that live for the purposes of God and the calling of God. What you did for God yesterday needs to be validated by what you're doing today. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Look at all the things I did back when I was young, and I obeyed God, and I did all these things, and we have a list of all the things and all the things we can say we've done for God. What are you doing for God today? You never retire from being God's 
servant. Do you? Many of y'all in here are retired. You don't retire from being a child of God and doing, being obedient to whatever God calls you to do. Because all can spiritually drift like Jonah, renew your commitment to God today. Don't think there's no possible way I could drift from God. I'm really, really good with God. We're tight. We're good. We're close. Jonah, the prophet of God, he knows God really, really well. He got an order he didn't like, and he's disobedient, and he reacts in a way that most of us probably would have as well. I'm just going to numb myself of God. I'm going to live a life that's disobedient to God and his word, and uh, God, you know, what are you going to do about it? I don't really care. Ultimately, the God of Jonah in this is himself. That's his God now. I do whatever I want. And a lot of people, that is their God. Circumstances, things happen, eh, whatever. It may turn over and early tomorrow. It may be better tomorrow, it may not, whatever. There's no uh, God of the unit, sovereign God that's at work in their life that loves them. And it's a sad way to live your life. But basically, you just live for what you can now and uh, until this life is over. That's it. Get the white picket fence, have all the obedient, obedient children, have the perfect job, the perfect mate, perfect grandchildren, and that's it. Christians have to stay connected to God. So the importance of uh, works is not what gets, saves us. No, absolutely not. It's pretty clear in, uh, in, in, in the New Testament that it's not works. It's the blood of Christ that saves, absolutely. But just here in Jonah, Jonah drifted. Jonah drifted a lot. And I don't know where you are, but if you're drifting from God, if you uh, have said no to God's word or said no to God's people or said no to God's presence... I'm not in his word. I don't go to church regularly. I don't associate with Christians. And I wonder why I'm not really close with God. You become who you're around, right? Uh, for all the negatives of peer pressure and teenagers and all the stuff that it can, there's also a good side of peer pressure. Those that are around you can actually encourage you to do right things, which is why uh, it says, don't forsake the assembly of, of meeting together. Don't drift like Jonah did. We're going to see there is in the remaining of the book, small book, God's, God hasn't given up on Jonah. He's made some really poor decisions, but God's going to still use him. And hopefully in chapter 4, Jonah's going to confess why he was the pouting prophet and what he didn't like about God. But as we look back now, I'm, I'm thankful that God is a loving God of all people. I'm thankful that Christ died for everyone, that everyone's a sinner, and he died for every single one of us. Charles Stanley, the the late Charles Stanley, he wrote The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. It tells of uh, his photography and experience on a small island of Inagua, Inagua in the Bahamas. He was near the small commercial port where salt ships docked to load their cargo. Three 50-foot-high posts were lined up several yards apart on one side of the loading area. Since the posts were on land rather than on the water, Stanley had a hard time figuring out why they were, why they were there. Finally, he asked the local person about these posts. He learned that the water in the channel was too shallow for the large salt boats to enter. So the boats had to make their way to the dock through one long, narrow channel. And as a ship's captain enters the harbor, he aligns the three posts so that from his perspective, they are in a straight line. And when then that's the case, it lets the captain know he can see only, when he sees only one post, he knows he's in the deep channel and can safely maneuver to the dock. God in this first chapter had to teach Jonah a lesson, one also connected with the sea. Jonah had to learn the danger of trying to maneuver his life to suit his feelings and his needs rather than aligning himself with God and his will. We must learn that we cannot pick the mission to accomplish for God. We have to align our own lives with God, listen for his message, and steer ourselves only where he leads. 
God does not call us to determine what we want to do and then ask him to bless our choices. No, the mission for God is not a smorgasbord of choices. It's a command to join God where he's at work. So the first chapter of Jonah, he's in the belly of the fish. Three days and three nights. And what's going to happen? You have to come back next week. Or you can read the rest of Jonah tonight. That would be fine too. <laughs> Let's pray. And God, I thank you that you're a God that is everywhere. That you're at work in all of our lives. That you're in work even through nations and the rise and, 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 and decline of nations. I thank you, God, that you're at work. And uh, I thank you that you're a God that we can't even run from that we think we can, but like Jonah, but we, we know we can't. And even in our disobedience, you're a God that still pursues us and still loves us, that your son still died for us. If any of us in here are drifting from you, and we're, we're a child of God, we believe you, but we're living in rebellion to you and your word and to your presence. I pray that we would repent of that. Know that you're faithful and, and just to forgive us of our sins and that we can restore our relationship, and then we could change behaviors that need to change and start doing things in line with your word. So then there will be blessing and fulfillment in our lives on earth and also in heaven. may not all be easy. We look to Jonah here, and for sure his life wasn't easy, but he never thought it would be like, like it is. Thank you for the forgiveness that we can have, that we, you restore us, you redeem us when we fail you. I thank you that we can become children of God through Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross. Pray for each person here that you continue to strengthen them the days ahead. And we'll give you all the glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen.